Abstract Doctors podcast special, The Abstract Veterans Series. Today, Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal speak with Dr. Erica Kornblith. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of our Abstract Veteran Series, where we discuss the limbic sensory research studies in a way to put it out there to the masses where people can understand it, to try to make, in an effort rather, to try to make science transparent and in some cases fun. I'm Char Gatlin and my always pragmatic co-host, Dr. Ron Seal, would like to welcome a very special guest today, Ms. Erica Kornbluth. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Char, and thank you, Ron. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'll just say a a few words by way of introducing myself. Um, I am a neuropsychologist at the San Francisco VA Medical Center and an assistant professor of psychiatry at University of California, San Francisco. And what I spend most of my time doing and what really gets me excited and passionate um, is studying traumatic brain injury, um, specifically in veterans. And what I really care about um, promoting with my research is healthy cognitive aging for folks who have experienced a traumatic brain injury. So helping helping folks who have had a a TBI, I'm gonna use that acronym for traumatic brain injury, um, and particularly veterans um, really do everything they can to age in a way where they can um, maintain their thinking skills and thereby maintain their independence. Wow, that's that's a lot of work. I'm surprised you have any any time off. Well, thank you for for attending our show or or joining us. And thank you for the uh, opening introduction, if you will. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, my colleague in crime right here. Ron, what you got? Sure. Uh, Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what got you interested in uh, in this area of research uh, related to dementia and traumatic brain injury? Absolutely. Um, Happy to to talk about that. I have always been fascinated by the brain, how it works, and more to the point, how things go wrong. Um, I've really always had uh, an interest in understanding the kind of difficulties that folks have after their brains are injured, um, as well as in uh, intervening in those problems. and, and the problems that, that I'm talking about, um, you know, are problems related to thinking as they impact daily life, as they impact the ability to fulfill the tasks and responsibilities that folks care about. And so in, in the course of, of getting involved in research in that domain, um, you know, I came to an understanding and awareness that brain injury increases the risk for cognitive impairment with aging. 
so so for dementia. Um, and what's clear is that brain injury does increase the risk. What's not so clear is how it goes about increasing the risk. And so I, with my scientist hat on, you know, got really curious about how can I contribute to a better understanding of how brain injury can increase risk for cognitive problems with aging and how can we prevent cognitive problems with aging or reduce the likelihood that they'll occur. So that was kind of my path into this area of research. And I like just so, uh, how logical you are thinking about it, which I, I don't take for granted in terms of, hey, we need to know the cause if we're going to prevent this and, you know, exactly what's causing what. And, um, you know, the research study was very nice in terms of focusing on those, you know, the cardiovascular risk as, as well as the TBI, but also considering the other things that might go into it, um, you know, including PTSD and, and depression and all. So, um, so uh, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, about who you studied uh, and then and what you uh, discovered? Absolutely. Well, um, I uh, work with a wonderful team of researchers uh, at San Francisco VA and UCSF, um, helmed by Dr. Christine Yaffe, my mentor. Um, and our group has the uh, incredible good fortune to have access to um, VA data. So we are able to study VA medical record data um, to try and answer some of the questions that we have about uh, brain injury and risk for cognitive impairment with aging. For this particular study, we were able to identify a cohort of almost 200,000 older veterans. And what we did was actually locate within our records the veterans who had experienced a brain injury. And we, what we were able to do was create a, um, a matched cohort um, where we found other folks who hadn't had a brain injury who were similar to our participants with brain injury in terms of age, race and ethnicity and sex so that we had a really nice matched group of half without brain injury and half with. And so within this large cohort that we were fortunate to be able to study, what we really wanted to understand was, you know, going back to this question of how does traumatic brain injury increase risk for dementia? And one of the hypothesized one of the ideas about how that happens um, is that it's related to cardiovascular disease. Um, so cardiovascular disease, so we're talking, we're thinking about things here like um, congestive heart failure um, and other, other cardiovascular conditions that by themselves increase risk for cognitive problems with aging. Um, and we also know 
that folks who have had a brain injury are more likely to have cardiovascular disease. So we wondered whether perhaps the risk for cognitive impairment with aging after having a brain injury had something to do with cardiovascular disease. That cardiovascular disease was really important and sort of the pathway by which this cognitive impairment after dementia occurred. And so we were able to um, address this question with this wonderful large cohort of veterans uh, that we were fortunate to have access to. Um, and so, you know, just to, um, I think one thing I, I'd like to highlight um, is, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll highlight kind of our, our main findings. Um, so the first thing that we found um, is that we found very high rates in our veteran, in our older veteran sample of cardiovascular disease, as well as cardiovascular risk factors. Um, these cardiovascular risk factors are things like obesity, hypertension, smoking, things that increase risk for heart disease. So we found very high rates in our sample of veterans, both with and without traumatic brain injury, but rates of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular risk factors were higher among those veterans who had had a traumatic brain injury. So that was the first thing we saw, and, and that was pretty striking um, that we saw um, these higher rates. And, and in fact, in our uh, sample of folks with brain injury, 90% of those veterans uh, had one or more cardiovascular risk factors. So, so quite overwhelming there. Um, we were interested in understanding um, in our sample, how much does having had a traumatic brain injury increase risk for being diagnosed with dementia? Um, and we found that the risk was increased um, more than twice. So those folks who had a, a brain injury um, were more than twice as likely to receive a diagnosis of dementia during the study period compared to those who didn't have one. And this was not, this was not surprising. I mean, we expected to find this. This has been shown in other cohorts um, that, that a brain injury does increase risk for dementia. Um, and it, it increases it, you know, quite a bit in the sample. Um, now we also saw that for those veterans in our cohort who had any cardiovascular disease, their risk of dementia was also increased. Um, and it was not, not as dramatic of an increase as with brain injury, but we did see that increased risk of dementia. Um, so when we went to examine what does risk look like for those veterans who experienced a brain injury in their lives and who had cardiovascular disease, we saw an additive effect where their risk of being diagnosed with dementia was increased two and a half times. So this really significant dramatic increase for folks who had both. Um, However, when we wanted to try to understand a little bit more 
about what was driving that finding. What we saw when we statistically accounted for cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease risk factors is that the risk of dementia in that case is only diminished a little bit. So holding cardiovascular disease risk factors equal, we still saw a very increased risk of dementia. So what this tells us is that cardiovascular disease does not account for much of the increased risk of dementia for these veterans. Um, that it's really, our work shows um, that the effects are independent of traumatic, of traumatic brain injury and of cardiovascular disease. Um, and that we really need to try to understand um, what other factors might be at play um, because even though we show that cardiovascular disease increases risk of dementia and we know brain injury increases risk of dementia, cardiovascular disease doesn't explain why brain injury increases risk of dementia. I've got several questions that jump out here. That's a great explanation, by the way. Uh, Really, really appreciate you breaking it down for us. But to back up a little bit here to the association between CVD, uh, cardiovascular disease, and TBI, one of the things mm -hmm. that sort of pops out is that, you know, it's if, if, I, if I read the manuscript correctly, it's kind of tough to explain, you know, the, the elevated prevalence. You know, it's unclear. But if you if you think about someone with TBI, you know, chances they'll have balance issues, depression, other other issue anxiety you know substance mm -hmm. abuse and these and they're likely in all cases to probably not be that physically fit and that would in my mind almost directly link it to in some ways or or areas that could to to cvd mm -hmm. what's uh what did you guys think about that particularly when i said i double check this again the average to see the mean was 67 years old uh, the population with a, a deviation of, I want to say like eight years, seven years, something like that. So yeah. that's an older, older population. Yes, this um, is an older, an older veteran population. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank you, Char. I mean, you, you make, you kind of zero in on um, a really important point um, of, of doing research like this, uh, which is trying to understand, you know, what is it about these people? that puts them at higher risk. Um, and so when we think about traumatic brain injury and cardiovascular disease, um, we can see that there's, there's a lot of support for both directions of the relationship. So, um, you know, folks who have cardiovascular disease, um, they're at high risk for, as you say, not being in great physical condition, they're at high risk for falls. And so they're likely to sustain a car, uh, excuse me, sustain a brain injury because of their pre-existing health condition. Now, we also know that the effects of traumatic brain injury on the body include damage to the vascular system that can result in higher risk of new cardiovascular disease after the brain injury. And so 
as you point out, there is this complex bi-directional relationship between brain injury and cardiovascular disease that's not quite fully understood. You, you had mentioned earlier the severity of, of TBS sort of indirectly. And I was kind of curious and looking back over sort of, as, as I said, the manuscript, one of the things that I was curious that a lot of these veterans that, 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 that were TBI, you know, uh, positive, the TBI uh, sample, if you will, you know, if they received their, you know, TBI in combat, you know, was it, what was the severity and what was the time point since injury, you know, because a lot of times, and I pointed out in the past on here, and you're looking at a lot of, a lot of data, this is a huge sample, but, you know, TBI sometimes is a secondary injury behind a more primary life-threatening that doesn't get picked up right away. I mean, have you guys thought about any of those factors or just some comments on it? I'd be curious as our, as our listeners would too, because someone like myself, who's, who's 46, turning on 47, I'm about to unfortunately start stepping into this window of population. So this is, uh, this is for all of us out there, please. Thank you so much. Such an important question. Um, as anyone who has any familiarity with brain injury research knows, severity is incredibly important uh, in terms of understanding what, um, how well someone's going to do, how well someone's going to recover after they have that injury. Um, now, it's important to note that um, in our sample, these injuries, uh, these brain injuries may have been sustained in combat. They may have been sustained uh, during military training, um, or they may have been sustained in civilian life. Um, so there's, there's really quite a range of the type of injury, um, as well as how long prior to the study the injury occurred. Um, and so unfortunately we don't, for this cohort, we don't have a great understanding of the details of the injuries. Um, you know, we, we work with the, um, the diagnoses that, that are put into the medical record. And so, you know, we're able to know, um, that someone has experienced a brain injury. Um, now, in terms of um, brain injury prevalence, um, the uh, the most, by far the most common type um, is a mild brain injury. Um, and, and that's, you know, an injury that's also known as a concussion. Uh, many listeners may, you know, be more familiar with that term. Um, and it's, it's really defined by a um, very brief loss of consciousness um, or some, some folks who sustain a mild traumatic brain injury may not even lose consciousness, but they may experience altered consciousness. Um, and so those are the most common um, type of brain injuries uh, in, in any sample of folks, um, who have had a brain injury. And so, um, what we do understand though, based on work, um, from, from our research group, um, at the UCSF center for population brain health is that even a mild injury, like the one that I described can increase risk for cognitive problems with aging. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why you know, we feel so strongly that it's really important to study these injuries and to really um, start to try to understand what's going on um, as these folks do enter older adulthood. 
this is kind of a non sequitur comment off of it. It's, it's not really a question, it's more of a comment, but I would be curious, and we've, some of the past podcasts we've done, we get into these identification codes of diagnosis and sort of looking at the, at the predictivity rates. And, and anyway, that's a story for itself. But I would be curious to see, yeah, I would be curious to see the types of employment these folks had, you know, their MOS or branch when they were in service yes. and then their employment when they came out. And if that sort of military slash cohort, employment cohort differed from a civilian population and their rates of dementia with jobs that were maybe, yes. uh, anyway, story, story for another day, but something to, to maybe think about, you know, have, have that. A, Sorry, Char. Th- thank you so much. That is such a cool idea. And I think, um, you know, reflecting on um, some of the, the previous work that I've done um, running cognitive rehabilitation groups um, with veterans who have experienced brain injuries during combat um, and then, you know, are coming back and reintegrating into civilian life. Um, that reintegration, that, um, you know, involvement in um, meaningful work or education, um, that can sometimes be very difficult after a brain injury and, and after experiencing combat as well. Um, and so I think um, you're absolutely right. It would be so informative to understand both military roles and then what kind of happened and, and what kind of occupations and, um, and roles folks took on post-military um, to try and understand, um, you know, the sample of veterans and, and specific to veterans, how does sustaining a brain injury impact their risk for problems down the line compared to civilians? Yeah, no, you broke it down. That's uh, it's good stuff. Definitely good stuff for myself and our listeners as well. Ron? So um, how, how concerned should uh, our service members or veterans uh, who are listening out there be concerned? Um, and um, what are some things that they can be doing to reduce their risk? Thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciate your future focus and your um kind of pragmatic perspective of, of what can people do. Don't, don't give him um, too much credit. Don't give him too much. Go to his head. <laughs> so I um, the head won't fit on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you bring up a good point, which is that I think many of us are concerned about the possibility of not functioning quite as well. Um, throughout aging, um, or even, um, you know, experiencing, uh, dementia, dementia, unfortunately, um, is, is very common. So many people have been affected, um, you know, may have had a family member, um, go through this incredibly challenging experience. And so I do absolutely agree, Ron, that, you know, this is something that's at the forefront, uh, of people's minds. Um, And, you know, there are um, many things that that do increase uh, risk of dementia. Um, Brain injury is one of them, but there are also things that we know reduce that risk. Um, Things that that people can do proactively. Um, So in thinking about this study, 
you know, as, as cool as it would be, I don't think any of us have access to a DeLorean to kind of go back in time and undo a brain injury that, that may have been experienced. Um, folks can do things like wear helmets when riding a bike or a motorcycle, um, you know, sort of, um, take care when engaging in, um, physically dangerous activities, um, so prevention's really the name of the game there. Um, you know, by contrast, so we, we see that cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease risk factors um, are somewhere where, um, you know, making sure that we control those risks if we have them um, is, is a really important area where folks can, can reduce their risk. So um, quitting smoking, um, you know, engaging in um, safe physical activity. Um, physical activity is a, a really big one. It's it's one of the areas where we have kind of the strongest support um, in terms of reducing risk for cognitive problems with aging. Um, and it doesn't need to be, you know, running ultra marathons. Um, walking is a wonderful uh, activity that um, has many positive effects. Um, so physical fitness reduces risk for dementia in and of itself. It also can boost mood. Um, if you, you know, engage in um, a walk or, you know, a workout class with a friend, social connections are really important um, for older folks to reduce risk of cognitive problems with aging. So, so these are the things, um, you know, when I work with patients, these are the things that I really emphasize. Um, you know, healthy diet is, is another area where folks kind of have some um, control in their daily lives to make choices that um, can have positive effects down the road. No, I, so I what I'm, like, oh, I'm sorry, Rob. I was going to say, I just from uh, what I'm hearing from a take home message standpoint is, um, you know, the fact that you've had a brain injury or perhaps two, you know, shouldn't scare the bejesus out of you in terms of, oh, I'm definitely going to get dementia. It's not anything like that. Um, but also that really, if you take care of your physical health, you're also going to take care of your brain health as well. So being healthy, being physically active, you know, eating right, sleeping right, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and if you do have medical diagnoses, you know, jumping on those and taking care of those as well. If you high, have high blood pressure, take your blood pressure meds. If you have high cholesterol, you know, take your cholesterol meds. Just taking care of yourself physically is really going to take care of your brain. Absolutely, Ron. Very well said. Couldn't and agree that's, more. That's something that we've seen, you know, time and time again on this podcast, you know, the concentric circles of the physical, the mental the emotion, even even the spiritual, I would toss in there. You know, at what, mm -hmm. where do you fall on it? What do you need? And, and what you hit upon, these are skill level one tasks that we all learned as service members. I mean, we're, we know this stuff and our audience knows this stuff, even though they may not remember in some cases, no pun intended, but they, they know it. You know, a, an ounce of cure or an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. I know that sounds cliche, but geez, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's an old proven time and true adage. So folks uh, out there on our podcast land, we're hit the end of our allotted time for this segment. Um, we would like to, actually, before we go, let me, do you have any last comments there, Dr. Kornblum? I apologize for not asking up front. 
Oh, no, no worries. Um, you know, I'm just um, happy to be able to share these findings and, um, you know, really be able to focus on um, what can folks do to take care of their brain health? You know, like I said at the beginning, that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning is is promoting healthy cognitive aging. Um, and there there's much that, um, you know, any individual can do. Um, to take take charge of of their own health, and so I'm I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to um, share this work and and be able to talk to um, veterans and and other folks with an interest and kind of speak directly to them. Yeah, on behalf of our podcast, you know, and a lot of our listeners out here, thank you for what you do. Thank you for staying in the fight and assisting you know a lot of the veterans and our civilian counterparts, you know, in this in this much reader research. And thank you for being on the show. We've enjoyed having you. And you know, feel free to contact us and, and come on back. Also, if you have any links um, or anything that you think would be pertinent for our audience to know, uh, please send them our way. And we'll be sure, sure to get them posted uh, once we get these kind of podcasts up and rolling, all that good stuff. And with the, you know, getting the information out there, you know, because it, uh, it takes a lot of people sometimes to come together and figure out which direction they need to go in. You know, you're never alone. There's always someone else out there. So thank you again for being with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Well said. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's truly a privilege to work with veterans and to um, be able to share my work. And and it was a it was a pleasure talking with you all. Thank you. Take care, ladies and gentlemen. We've come to the end of our time. Um, We'd like to thank, you know, Dr. Erica Corbett for breaking it down and just putting it out there like it needed to be told. You know, there's some huge takeaways right there. And I hope our audience is was listening and picking up on it, what she was putting down. So on behalf of my co-host and I, I'm Char Gatlin, this is Dr. Ron Seal and our gang that remains unseen that keeps the machine, that keeps these podcasts rolling out. Uh, Miss AC, the Colonel and Ron in the box up top. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you next episode. Until then, have a great day. Thank you to Dr. Erica Kornblith for joining Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal today on the Abstract Doctors podcast special, the Abstract Veterans Series. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment soon.